Section 50 of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Abner Crossman Godfrey. 1849. In the early days before we had streetcars, or any of the present day improvements, the country was all new. New families and interests were pouring in from the east. We had to travel by stagecoach, and very often the roads were so muddy that the wheels of the coach would sink into the hub. I remember the year so well that the first state capital was dedicated. That was the time of the pleasure trip that I am going to tell you about. They got a four-horse lumber wagon and put in long seats on either side, and piled in heavy robes. This was to convey the people from Minneapolis to St. Paul for the very important services. There were three boys, Stillman Foster, Oate Whitney, Sam Tyler of the neighborhood, and myself that chummed together. The rig started off from the old mill office, Main Street. That was the starting place for everything in those days, and is now 2nd Avenue Southeast. We boys decided that it would be a great lark to get in the wagon and hide under the robes and ride around to the St. Charles Hotel, where the passengers were waiting. Much to our surprise, we were not ordered to get out when we were discovered. We soon arrived at the old De Neuer place halfway to St. Paul. It was bitter cold, about 45 degrees below zero. In St. Paul, I left the rig and wandered over to the old American house. My hands were frozen, and I soon began to cry with the pain. My fingers were white to the first joint. A Frenchman who was standing nearby, seeing my distress, took compassion on me, took me inside, and put my hands into hot whiskey. That saved them. Major Benjamin Randall, 1849 In 1860, to prevent conflict between the Indians and white settlers, a military post called Fort Ridgely was built 180 mile northwest of Winona, on the Minnesota River. Major Woods arrived soon after navigation on the river was demonstrated to be practicable by that veteran, Smith Harris, and steamboats from the Ohio River were not infrequent visitors. Ridgely was in no sense a fort, but by general acceptation. It was not designed or constructed as a place of defense. It was built on a plain forty rods from the edge of a steep bluff of the river on the south, and a gradual sloping bluff, less abrupt, to a creek running at right angles on the east about the same distance. A deep wooded ravine extended up through the river bluff to about one hundred yards of the southwest corner while a considerable depression was continued some distance farther. The St. Peter Road led up the Creek Bluff Ravine along the north side of the fort, with a level stretch of prairie to the north. It was such a place as the Indians would have selected for the building, if they had contemplated its capture. The Indians were frequent visitors at the fort, and watched the light battery drill with wonder and surprise, the horses flying across the prairie like an Egyptian chariot race. 
the sudden changes of front and position and the rapid firing awed the savage in the spring of eighteen sixty one all this was changed the artillery were ordered south one and sometimes two companies of volunteers were stationed for a short time and others succeeded them the indians knew the country was claiming its able-bodied and best men in its support and watched with interest the departure of volunteers for its defense and believed as they talked that only women and old men were left the soldiers they respected and feared had gone from our frontier the anxiety to rush everybody to the front had left our posts without garrison and people without protection and protests to officials were unheeded or disregarded the indians felt that the time and opportunity was present and they could win back without resistance the inheritance they had lost in furtherance of this scheme on monday morning the eighteenth of august eighteen sixty two an attack was made on the citizens at the lower agency twelve miles above the fort those that could tried to escape j c dickinson who kept a boarding-house with his family and others in a two-horse wagon was the first to cross the ferry notifying the settlers as he made his way toward the fort a little before nine o'clock in the morning i was out about two miles from the agency in a buggy and met him his team was jaded and i reached captain marsh's quarters some time in advance of him a courier was sent after lieutenant sheehan who with fifty men was on his return to fort ripley captain marsh and forty-six men started for the scene of the uprising and were ambuscaded by the indians twenty-eight of the men being killed and captain marsh drowned that night small parties of indians that were raiding the settlements were drawn together and celebrated their victory by dance and song which gave us valuable time at the fort saving hundreds of lives by the delay the fort was left under the command of lieutenant gear a young man of less than twenty years without military or frontier experience the situation would have appalled the most experienced frontier officer fortunately the advice and experience of sergeant jones was available the four reiki brothers who had the contract for furnishing hay to the post notified settlers and hauled water filling all the barrels that could be found all the water used at the post was hauled from a spring at the foot of the river bluff nearly half a mile distant and near the ravine which the indians went up two days later to make their attack after a day of preparation and suspense lieutenant sheehan returned with his fifty men who were welcomed with joy by those holding the post and later about forty-six men arrived from st peter the renville rangers there were enough men to post sentinels to guard the salient points i visited some of these posts with an officer and a lantern later in the night and no one was sleeping on them they were deserted we followed to where they had taken shelter in the barracks among the refugees and they were ordered from their bedsteads to resume their guns and duties the ravine was between my house and the garrison where my family had taken shelter about twelve o'clock i was at the house with a horse and buggy when guns were discharged and sentinels shouting indians seeing them running i was not long in reaching the fort and had been there but a short time when flames shot up from my dwelling and the ravine i had just crossed swarmed with painted savages miss sarah faribault my father oliver faribault built a house which was his home and trading post near little six 
or Shakopee's village in 1844. It was a fine point for a trading post, as three Indian villages were near. Good roads, black dogs, and Shakopee's. He was a very successful trader. I can well remember the great packs of furs. We used to play all around the country near. I could shoot an arrow as well as a boy. The hunting was fine. We used often to go to the sacred stone of the Indians, and I have often seen the Sioux warriors around it. It was on the prairie below town. There was room for one to lie down by it, and the rest would dance or sit in council around it. They always went to it before going into battle. They left gifts which the white people stole. I can remember taking some little thing from it myself. I passed a party of Indians with it in my hand. One of the squaws saw what I had and became very angry. She made me take it back. She seemed to feel as we would if our church had been violated. This stone was stolen by a man from the east and taken there. This loss made the Indians very angry. Little Crow was often at our house. It was much loved by us children. He used to bring us candy and maple sugar. My father was fond of him, too, and said he was always honest. The Indians did not understand the white man's ways. When the white man had a big storehouse full of goods belonging to the Indians, and the Indian was cold and hungry, he could not see why he could not have what was there belonging to him, if it would keep him warm and feed him. He could not see why he should wait until the government told him it was time for him to eat and be warm, when the time they had told him before was long past. It was the deferred payments that caused the outbreak, I have often heard from the Indians. One morning in the summer of 58, we heard firing on the river. Most of the Sioux had gone to get their annuities, but a few who were late were camped near Murphy's. These had been attacked by a large band of the Chippewa. The fighting went on for hours, but the Chippewa were repulsed. That was the last battle between the Sioux and the Chippewa near here. I have often seen Indians buried on platforms elevated about eight feet on slender poles. They used to put offerings in the trees to the great spirit, and to keep the evil spirits away. I remember that one of these looked like a gaily colored umbrella at a distance. I never dared go near. End of Section 50 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida